Coco's all hyped up from her Bridgerton. Yeah. I finished it in two days. It was eight hours worth of television. <laughs> Holy fuck. I she never like, watched TV, but I couldn't stop watching them. <laughs> rewind, rewind. Jesus. Oh my God. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Whoa, shit. I have to, oh my God, look, it's foaming. <laughs> Is that because of all the sexual tension from watching I think Bridgerton? I was shaking it up. I think I was shaking it up when I was talking. I didn't notice. You got that excited about that show. You were like, anyway, so this Bridgerton you, show. She take, you don't want to know. It's her whole mouth over the end of the can. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. I have beer all over me right now. <laughs> I have oh to go get a napkin. Man. Jesus. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Health Unfiltered Podcast. We are hyped up tonight. <laughs> yes. How are you all doing? Good, I'm good. How are you, Nicole? <sighs> well, I was good until you had to judge me. <laughs> okay. Nicole soaked in her own beer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She got too excited like... talking about some not safe for work stuff that the beer sh- can shook and exploded everywhere. So. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know what else to say other than that. This is the excitement in the Nakoko household. (laughs) It sounds like it. Sounds like a party. What are y'all drinking tonight? Well, you just heard that I'm drinking a beer because it exploded (laughs) in my face. Um, I'm drinking a local hell lager from Yazoo, Yazoo. I don't know how everyone says it here. Everyone says it differently, I think. Oh, we went there when I was in Nashville yeah, once after that when we were allowed to go do like, softball game. Yes, when we won tickets to that yeah. thing. What do you guys do? <laughs> that was in grad school, and Brooke like entered this contest because it was it was a good. Story. It was the same weekend that we were going to be in Nashville for CMA Fest, and one of like the Bachelorette people. Wait, CMA Fest being Country Music Award Fest. Yes. <laughs> Fucking losers. All right, go ahead. Okay. Your oh your FOMO God. is so showing. judgmental today. <laughs> um and Brooke entered and she won. And so we went to this celebrity softball game, but it was really just a bunch of like bachelor bachelorettes from Which is perfect. Yes. Really. <laughs> Which mean, we yeah, loved like, oh, because trash we, TV and trash softball. Perfect. What was her name? The one we love so much, Corinne. Caitlin no, Bristow. the one on, um, what's his name, season? The one that almost was with Caitlin Bristow. Oh, Nick, the one who Nick used to say she had like a golden vision. Yeah, golden vision. <laughs> <laughs> she was the best. We did. We won tickets too because he was like, tell me why you deserve these tickets. And I was like, I'm going to be real. This has been a tough graduate school struggle bus and I just need a break. <laughs> and he picked and us. He was like, he was like oh, I pity them. <laughs> awesome. Every other person's like, I just love them for a button. Like, no, no, no. She needs help. Uh, we'll <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it worked well. That's exciting. <clears throat> uh, yeah, only a little bit of FOMO, but just for the softball game. As far <laughs> as what I'm drinking, I'm having the Sass Machine. It's a double India Pale Ale from Colorado, or California, from Aero Lodge Brewing. It's one that you two gave me uh, a couple weeks back, 
and it's got a really cool can. It's like very 70s hippies vibe. So I'll have to post a picture of it, but it smells strong. You're going to be trashed oh, by the end of this episode. Yeah, probably. It's like a, a double IPA. <laughs> it's been a while. It's got a nice head on it. Oh, my. Oh. That's good. Oh, I'm pouring it into a glass. It's a beer That's term. Why. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Stop. really good. Wow, it's really good. People don't that was, like that noise. That was me, like, t- tasting it, you know? People have For phobias. For ASMR fans out there, just like, mm, <laughs> they're going to rewind and replay that part only. Oh, but. wow. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what do you have, Brooke? Why do you look sophisticated? <laughs> I, I bet, you know, I'm just the definition of class over here. <laughs> Not really. Um, I'm drinking a Virginia red wine that my parents gave Brian and I for Christmas. It's from a place called Grey Ghost Vineyards. Mm. And it's like a very light table red. I really like it. It smells super fruity, but it doesn't taste super sweet. So I'm happy. But it's a very light bodied, easy drinking. So delicious. Could be dangerous. So say, he's like, so by the end of it, you're going to be like, Dumbledore. Like, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, bro. Maybe. When we have really long, good shows, I'll text Brian from the other room and be like, hey, you want to come top this <laughs> off? <laughs> I didn't know that. I just see you him should get a bell. Like, shh. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let's get into our question of the week. It's uh, from a friend, a dear friend, Sarah, at The Wandering Barbella. Her question is, what are some good tips for managing body image and disordered eating patterns for weight class athletes? This is kind of a loaded question. Yeah. Nicole, what are your like thoughts right off the bat? Um. Well, I think that these can kind of be together but can also be separate so you can have the normal bad body image days without having the prolonged disordered eating or a diagnosed eating disorder or you know these can couple together and create a lot of um you know struggle between the individual and for me personally I think working with a team, a dietitian and other healthcare professionals is going to be best here, especially if it's something you've been struggling with for a really long time, because you're going to need that support and that guidance. And you're going to need someone that you trust to kind of talk through those emotions and those struggles and those feelings. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really know if that's something that you can fully just tackle on your own without that good support system. So I think having that support system is definitely key. I totally agree. And I think like as dietitians, I do think we're equipped to a certain extent to help manage someone's relationship with food, but beyond there, there definitely becomes a point where it's outside of our scope of practice. And I have some clients who work with me as a dietitian and also work with a therapist because the the mental emotional piece and the food and nutrition kind of go hand in hand. So I think that's a really good, uh, like multidisciplinary team approach that you mentioned, like awesome, like hitting it from all angles in a way. When it comes to weight class athletes, I have a lot of thoughts on that in general. 
It's a really challenging way of life, especially for people who are at an elite level and they need to have it really dialed in and go up and down sometimes pretty frequently throughout the year. My biggest thing is if you're someone who is more of a recreational athlete and still competitive, like of course, but, um, not necessarily like a pro UFC fighter or something, I would try to be really realistic about what weight class you pick so that, you know, you can in a very healthy, easy way, get to where you need to be. That would be my biggest advice so that you just don't set yourself up to have some of these triggering experiences when it comes to some disordered eating patterns. I do think working with someone on this is helpful because, um, like I really am not a fan of water cutting. I don't know what your thoughts are on that row, but I'm really not a fan. And I'm a big believer that you can make weight in a healthy way. If you plan ahead and you really, so obviously sometimes you can't do that. I know that that's not a perfect scenario, <laughs> I'm like, hmm. but I think that I think that for most of our listeners, like they're not professional athletes, really like plan ahead and try to do it the right way with the right methods so that you don't fall back into those disordered eating patterns will be really important. Uh, quick question. Why aren't you a fan of water cuts? I don't think we've actually like ever talked about this, but. Uh, I think water cuts can be used a certain way, but I don't think. I just don't think that it's the best idea. And I, when you're dehydrating your body to a certain point and it can cause like really damaging effects, like this whole soaking yourself in isopurple alcohol and not drinking until like your mouth and your lips are bleeding and your skin is cracking and you look emaciated. And then for you to try and rehydrate yourself in time for competition, depending how extreme you push that is just super unrealistic. And in some sports now they don't let you use IVs to replenish. Yeah. The UFC so doesn't allow that. You're kind of, yeah, you're like setting yourself up for failure, in my opinion, because we know if you're dehydrated, you are going to fatigue faster. You're not going to be performing and functioning at your best. So, like, I just feel like it's not smart on an athlete's, you know, I mean, it's different with bodybuilding. I know a ton of bodybuilders do oh, that and they just need to look pretty right. and stand upright, not to diminish the sport. Right. But if you need to perform, like, I don't think a water cut is smart for all those reasons. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, <clears throat> I know the UFCPI, the Performance Institute, has they have water cutting protocols that they pretty much give out to their fighters. <clears throat> um, and I, and I, I'm blanking on a recent study or post I saw, and I say recent, I think it was like six months ago, um, where they looked at differences in like outcome i think as far as whether you won or lost based on uh weight cuts or water cuts and so that's why i'm, I'm like loosely using it as an example because i'm not sure but they said that there was really like no difference um so i think that's why people are still like yeah water cuts make sense because if you need to lose five more pounds instead of you know trying to do that with a calorie restriction let's just dehydrate you for you know 24 48 hours or closer to 24 and then uh get that water back but yeah it definitely depends on like if, if you're like a a weightlifter or a powerlifter and like a novice then don't do that like you know just compete where you fall it is what it is now if you're someone who's like you know 
needs a higher Wilkes or something, then yeah, maybe. But also understand that I don't think dehydration causes that big of a performance decrement for um, like strictly anaerobic athletes. So for a powerlifter and weightlifters might not be ultra detrimental, but you know, but like you said earlier, if you can plan better, just do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, if you can avoid it, why mm. would you not? Yeah, because based on the research I've read, it does show differences. I'd be curious to see like what what you're specifically talking about. I have to go and, find and it. the protocols. Like, I'm sure the protocols they come up with are a lot healthier than the things I've seen people do. Where, you know, it's like they're not drinking water and they're taking vodka shots. And yeah, they're like they're, spitting in like, cups. Yeah, yeah. That's a really common one I saw with wrestlers. Yeah. And I just think that that's going too far. And you can really hurt yourself. You can basically cause like cardiac damage from dehydrating yourself too far. So if there's like a safe protocol that's been set up by people who know what they're doing. Okay, that's a different story. But I just think that. People, I mean, people have died that way. So I'm just not, a, I'm just not like a huge fan of it. Um, but I understand that there's different worlds when it comes to, we're talking like professional UFC fighter versus someone who does like competitive BJJ or something. Right. Oh, that's uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu for, for someone who doesn't know it. <laughs> competitive BJs. Yeah. And then also, um, <laughs> importantly, is that those people have teams surrounding them. Right. So they have people like checking in and they're not just someone who like read something off the Internet. That was like, yeah, I'll try a water cut and then just gets really sick or whatever. But sorry for that little tangent. I was just like, I don't think I've ever talked about this before. So. Yeah, those are my thoughts on that. As far as managing the body image piece, I think that that's probably the most challenging part of the whole thing. Because right. like, how do you because it's just this mental game of like. And everyone's so different, right? Like what works for me, you know, and how I feel about myself might not work for the next person. But I think that that should be an ongoing thing that you're working through, whether you're weight cutting or you're not weight cutting. It should be something like you're doing ongoing to support yourself, like a self-care routine in a way. That should be something that I would recommend that is ongoing and that you can find things that work for you to have a more positive relationship with yourself regardless of where you are in your season or training. Yeah. That was a tough question. Absolutely. She hit us with a tough one. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you post her a lot, right? Or like repost her. I, every time I see the, the handle, I'm like, that's such a cool fucking handle, man. Yeah. She's awesome. You should definitely follow her. She's great. So, should we dive into the podcast topic? Let's do it. Let's what is our topic it. today? Coco, you want to intro what we're talking about? Yeah. So, um, before we dive into the questions for this week, I just kind of want to give a little bit of background of what we're talking about today. So, we're going to dive into this. I don't want to. I don't know if I really want to say theory, but um, this conversation around. Um, your set point weight, which each of our set point weights are differently as individuals. And this is kind of where your body, body just naturally hangs out and where it's the weight that you kind of don't have to do any extremes to manage. Your body just kind of works on its own to keep you there. So 
a lot of where the information is coming from in this podcast is from Lyndon Linda Bacon's book, Health at Every Size. And I know I've mentioned her a few times on the podcast. Super intelligent, provides a lot of information in all of her books. So I really recommend buying it and kind of diving into more of the research that she's provided over all of this. But it's really just looking, once again, like looking to move away from that diet mentality and moving into more of like the food freedom realm. Nice. I love it. I love hearing you talk about this topic because I think it's so important and I'm really interested to hear everyone's theory and like how they feel about set point weight. So to start off, I guess like what is set point weight? So this is the healthy weight that your body aims for. And in the book, Linda compares this to a thermostat. So think about the range that you keep your house at, what is most comfortable to you. And your body kind of works the same way for us, for each person. It works to keep this equilibrium. So the further you go from the center, the stronger the pull is to bring you back to whatever it is that your body is most comfortable at. So like anything else, this system can break. Um, The more we mess it up, aka through the more we diet, the more we go into these extreme measures when it comes to health, this natural system begins to break down. So as we've mentioned before, our bodies are smart. They're designed to protect us. Your body knows what weight is best for you. It doesn't care that you want to drop two sizes and fit in your favorite pair of jeans. So our bodies will go into overdrive trying to maintain our set point range. And often they're going to win. So this means that you're going to regain the weight that you lost through dieting. And you're possibly even going to pay a penalty price by gaining extra weight, creating a new set point range for your body, just in case you choose to diet again and lose weight too quickly or drop below the weight that you're designed to have like as your most comfortable equilibrium, homeostasis, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, that's crazy <laughs> when you think about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause but, if you do think about it, we try really hard. To, I mean, I know at least for me, there was always this like one crazy number in my mind growing up. I just want to see this number. I just want to see this number. And one, I never got to the number because it was super unrealistic for me and my body. And then two, when I did get down to my lowest, the second I got there, not even weeks later, I had jumped back up to a weight that was more comfortable for my body. And so if you do get there through extreme dieting, you often see your body goes right back up where it came from because it's like, we're too low. What's happening? Are we starving? So, Nicole, you know how in nutrition and dietetics we have the ideal body weight formula? Mm-hmm. Random thought. Do we know where that ever came from? Yeah. So it's, I, I think I remember maybe where it came from. Ro, you said you don't know what it is. So um, it's this simple equation almost. And for females, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the first like five feet of a person or for a female, it's a hundred pounds. And then every inch over 
five feet, you're supposed to add five pounds. So if you're five, five, your ideal body weight would be 125 pounds. And for men, what's the, what's the starting one? Is it 105 or 110? It's like 106 and then it's like an extra six for for every every inch, I think. Over five feet. It just is such a weird, like, I'm like, where did this formula come from? It's also so unrealistic. What female is that size? I'm 5'7", so that means my ideal body weight is 135. I have never been 135 in my life. (laughs) I just jumped. you're not the ideal woman, Nicole. Yes, like, I just jumped over that at some point. I mean, I just never have been. And a lot, I mean, if you think, like, what Brooke just said, whatever your height is, you're probably thinking the exact same thing of, uh, I've never been that weight in my life. Like what? <laughs> yeah. So I, it's so strange. I, think that, um, I don't know where that came from. That kind of goes back to, to, to research. Cause I did type it in and I, was, I typed in ideal body weight formula just cause like I said, I'd never heard of it. Um, but I came across a picture that has, it's, I'm assuming, a kind of a collection of different studies, but the first one, <clears throat> the first ideal body weight, in kilograms was just height minus a hundred like what and that was based in 1871 so even if you go up to now the most recent one is 2012 like think about how humans are just way more different now that's the first thing and then i think that we've uh mentioned this before that in my body composition class my first year of my phd um we were taught and I guess came to the realization that a lot of the science that we base body weight and body composition off of is based off of the 70 kilogram male and like 70 kilogram white male. And it's like, how many people do you know that are just like 70 kilos and that they're a white male and they're like at average height of, I think it was like five, eight or something. So like using these things as like, quote unquote, ideal is like so wild when you think about where it's actually come from. Um, And especially if it hasn't been, you know, looked at for men, women, but then different um, races and and things like that, where cultural differences and environmental differences are going to cause you to develop differently um, based on your genes and, you know, where your lineage comes from. So it's interesting. It's really interesting. So that would be a 154 pound male. Yeah. Like that's pretty, I, I don't know a lot about men as much, <laughs> I guess being a female, a female body, but I think that that's a pretty small yeah. male, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now I, I know all my, all of our runners that are over there are going to be like, Oh, I'm too big now because runners, as we've talked about, are like the worst when it comes to body image and stuff. But like that is, it is really, it's small. Like for sure, I'm like two twelve. A lot of right these now. things couldn't imagine being oh, it, sixty pounds lighter. No way. Yeah, but I would like I would love to see your your like DEXA or something because so many of these formulas don't take into consideration that you might be an active person with some muscle mass on your body. Um, Not me. And I know that <laughs> I know that in. Um, the world of nutrition, ideal body weight has become kind of controversial because, so there's another formula that basically says if you're over your ideal body weight by a certain amount, 
we need to create this magical made up adjusted body weight. I mean, really it's a formula, but we're going to create this adjusted body weight that's somewhere in between your ideal body weight and your actual body weight. And then we're only going to fuel a part of your body. Like it's a very strange concept that I think is becoming outdated in nutrition, but this idea of like, Oh, you're too big on this arbitrary scale. So we're going to just not feed all of you as a human. Like it's, it's so weird, but that's how a lot of hospitals still to this day do formulas. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I think it's also just it's easier to uh, to look at numbers than it is to like sit and talk about your life and your lifestyles and blah, blah, blah. But I agree. Like the whole system has to be revamped. Um, going back to what we were talking about as far as like set weight points, I think is what, what it was. Um, I think it's so interesting that, you know, uh, people will, will fixate on like you said, Nicole, like the weight that they used to be when they were younger or like, oh, yeah, I'm a 40 year old female and I just I want to be the size I was when I was in high school. And it's like, what? Like you've had kids or not. You've made a career or not. You've traveled or not. You know what I mean? There's like all these things that why would you try to just be some like arbitrary number? And then also like I and I don't know if we'll get into this later, but like how your body dictates that is like not up to you, you know, like my before quarantine, uh, I was like chilling at like 185, really trying to get up one to 190. I was like, just put these five pounds on was not happening. Um, and I mentioned multiple times, it's because like I wasn't able to eat and sleep as well. And now like sitting at like I fluctuate between like 209 and 212 and I'm trying to get myself up to be above 210. But like, I don't even remember, like, I remember being like, okay, 190, cool. Let's try and get it to 195 and then 195, cool. Let's get it 200. And like, now my, my set point is like around that 209 mark. Like for right now, I'm just struggling getting up, but it's cause like, for whatever reason, I just am not doing enough or it's like kind of naturally where I'm sitting. Cause even if I don't change stuff all that much for like a week or two, I don't, I don't change. Um, yeah. So that's, well, we're definitely going to get into like the hormones and what your metabolism does and nice. all nice. the things that it's telling your brain to do. So Just I think you're, steak. So yeah, I think you're really going to enjoy <laughs> this conversation. <laughs> Perfect. So how can my body be regular regulating my weight naturally? Um, I know that there's this thought that it has to be controlled through diet and exercise. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So when I hear this question, um, it kind of brings me back to our conversation that we had in episode eight. And I really loved this conversation because we talked about how our bodies adjust or adapt to various temperatures, particularly in the cold. And I remember Rose saying something about how our bodies have very little margin to drop up or down when it comes to our internal temperature before it becomes fatal. So when answering this question, I like to think about all the other things our body does naturally to protect us that we don't even, that we don't ever question. So how we get too warm when we're working out or walking in the heat, our body starts to sweat to cool us down or how we may be too cold and our body causes the hair to rise on our body, AKA goosebumps to trap the air 
and causes us to shiver to increase our temperature. Um, things like breathing and digestion, it's all governed by our nervous system, which all works without us having to remind it to, right? So our body's ability to maintain homeostasis is one of the most fundamental concepts in biology. Oxygen levels, carbon dioxide levels, blood volume, and blood sugar, these are tightly regulated, preventing fatal outcomes. So when it comes to your weight, we can thank the hypothalamus, thialmus, hypothalamus, sorry, big words. Sorry, I was choking <laughs> on my water. Hypothalamus, yeah. <laughs> hypothalamus. So this is a small region of the brain, and this plays a huge part in helping us maintain and regulate our weight naturally. So the hypothalamus is like an all-knowing sensor. It reacts to the messages it receives by sig signaling other body tissues to release hormones, enzymes, and other chemicals to push back you back to homeostasis. So that's kind of how, like I said, there's all these hormones and enzymes and other things communicating with your brain to keep you at this weight as it sees that it's fluctuating. So if you're going up or if you're going down, things like metabolism, and your appetite, what drives you to eat, all of that is going to shift to bring you back to this set point. Yeah, I think it's really great that you you mentioned that this all just happens, right? Like it's your body's way of being like, hey, we're not eating as much. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to, you know, lose or use this fat storage so that we can have energy or hey we're in a bit of a surplus like let's just hold on it's not like you're sitting there telling it like hey like no worries i'm just this is a cheat meal and like i'll get back on it you know next week or whatever like it just happens um mm -hmm. it's a fully integrated system and yeah definitely run by the hypothalamus but like i think it's so funny that people think that they can like trick mm-hmm billions of years of evolution you know what I mean like good luck how, how is that supposed to happen so um very very good point that you made as far as like your body doing what's best for you to keep you mm -hmm. alive for the most part um you know obviously like if you're sick or something it's different but that's all it's trying to do is protect yeah. you yeah that's a really good point so what does the hypothalamus do during weight loss if someone's intentionally trying to lose weight or losing weight? Yeah, so if during weight loss, if you are below your set point weight, it may direct other body systems to regulate your eating and activity levels as well as your metabolic efficiency. So this is how we burn calories to actually get you to gain weight because your body realizes that you are below a weight that is optimal for you. So I know we've heard before from clients or friends that I'm just addicted to high fat or calorie dense foods. This actually may just be your hypothalamus at work. It can re initiate the release of particular hormones that directly influence appetite, increasing your want to eat. These hormones can actually change how food tastes, which I find this super interesting, meaning something tastes really, really good. So we continue to eat it because our body knows that we need the extra calories to get our weight back up and vice versa. So your body knows that we're full and we may have an extra 
you know, few pounds on us that we don't necessarily need. So our taste can actually be turned down. So the desire to eat actually decreases. And in the book, she mentioned a really interesting study. And this study had about 100 volunteers who had easily maintained a stable weight for about six months. And this indicated that they had reached their set point range. So these volunteers agreed to live in a hospital ward where their intake and activity levels were carefully monitored. The first At first, they had to gain weight until they were about 10% over their original weight. Then they had to lose weight where they were 10% lower than their original weight. So no matter what their size was, if they were fat, thin, somewhere in between, the research showed that when they put on the extra 10% of weight, their metabolism actually increased by 15%, which would naturally allow them to bring their weight back down and vice versa. When the weight went down by 10%, their metabolism decreased by 15%. So this actually helped them to not expend more energy and to allow their bodies to put on more weight. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I haven't read the book, uh, and I should cause her last name is bacon, but <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. Do you know if they mentioned, like, why there was an increase in metabolism? Because, like, fat is, like, adipose tissue is is metabolically active. So, like, even if you are a bigger person and you might not have, like, a lot of muscle mass, like, you still, like you said, need food to keep regulating different processes, which do involve, like, keeping those fat cells alive and, and you know, saturated with blood and all that stuff. Like... Do you know if they or did she talk about kind of how the increase might have to do with just the fact that they have gotten bigger and they have more fat and so their metabolism is heavier uh, as opposed to it being like, oh, we're trying to burn more so that we're at our set point. So, yeah, we're um, she brings up the hormone leptin in this chapter, which we're going to get into in a second, which um, has to do with the fat on your body and that's what allows it to transmit messages to your brain. And, um, so what she's trying to get at is that this system works naturally when you are within your set point range and them just gaining or just losing like 10% of what they originally weighed. That's probably still within that set point range. It's probably maybe just like a little bit over or a little bit under. So it's not really, interfering with that mechanism just yet. Um, it's still allowing that leptin to do its work to send that message to the brain and also allowing the metabolism to increase or decrease. I don't know if that like fully answers your question, but I think because they had maintained their weight, they weren't trying to do anything crazy, ridiculous, drastic, I guess that, their natural systems were doing their work. But if these individuals had continued down that row of like road of continuing to gain weight past this point of their set point or continuing to lose weight past the point of their set point, then their body would not have been as receptive to kind of bring them back to that equilibrium because they're messing with it so much. Does that make sense? No, yeah, that that's fair. And then also I think it's good that you mentioned that it was like in a hospital ward where 
everything was carefully monitored. So I'm sure they had mm-hmm. like set points and it wasn't just like now you're eating 8,000 calories, right? It was yeah, like yeah. A, a smart uh, increase. Like, I don't know if it was like half a pound or a pound or whatever, but things mm-hmm. that made sense that wouldn't trigger, you know, uh, that kind of pendulum swing back that we talked about earlier. But there's something I was thinking about. Yeah. I love studies like this and I feel like they're so rare because it's so hard to control all those different factors. Yeah. Yeah, It's like so expensive to do like feeding studies like this. So I definitely want to read this book. Do you think if someone said we'll give you a thousand dollars for, I guess it's really in like four weeks and you just have to just have to stay in a hospital ward and we'll feed you and monitor your activity. Like, could you do that? I'd be like, no, I'm good. I maintain my weight. I'm living my life. Get away from me. (laughs) (laughs) I think like the science nerd in me would want to do it just to like see. But it would be really hard. But she does mention a lot of interesting studies. And of course, most of them are done in mice because in this chapter, we are talking about the hypothalamus so much, uh, a.k.a. the brain. And there is actually, you know two different sides almost to the hypothalamus where one one side if you're like hitting this certain trigger point it can either like increase or decrease your appetite and whatever with the other one I'm not really sure I can't remember what she said but so they basically like stopped the ability in these mice of whichever side of the hypothalamus to either get the mice to eat more or eat less. And they were basically doing the study to see if they could do it in humans, like jab a probe in our brain to get us to stop eating. And it's just, it's crazy to see all the links that they go to, to find out how can we make everyone skinny? (laughs) That's science, baby. I don't think it's for the sake of making people skinny. Right. But like, (laughs) When it comes to <laughs> obesity and diabetes and all that stuff, like there's a lot of money pumped in research wise because mm-hmm. it's just it's, you know, causing our system and our healthcare to like really be burdened and stuff. And we also know that generally if you are carrying less adipose tissue that you're going to live a longer and healthier life. So but, I, you know, I that's just the science nerd to me being like, whoa, it's not just because we want people to be skinny, right? It's like, there, there are questions we need answers to. But. Well, so much, you mentioned this earlier, Ro, like so much has changed with the human experience yeah. from like the 18, late 1800s when they started some of this research we were talking about to the 1900s through on even into 2020. Like our lives are so different mm-hmm. and the stresses we're under or not under are so different. So I, I do find all the research fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, wow, how different would be if we still had to do like industrial labor? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like all those people, like they worked eight to 10 hours a day. They had no unions also. So they were like, oh, we're just going (laughs) to be run into the ground and do heavy lifting and carrying. Mm -hmm. And like they were just so fit because they had to be. Or like farming. So labor intensive. Well, now it's a lot. I know there's a lot of machines now, but. Yeah, you still like, got to get up you're going to go stuff, old school. Yeah. yeah, you're still moving. <laughs> yeah. So 
Nicole, why does weight gain seem so much easier than weight loss? Rose probably going to disagree with this question. But generally, (laughs) like, why is weight gain easier than weight loss? Yeah. So we touched on the hypothalamus and its ability to help us naturally maintain our set point range. So this is a great question to now introduce leptin, which I just mentioned to Roe. And leptin is a hormone released from fat cells in adipose tissue. So this signals the brain to turn down your appetite, speed up your metabolism, and to get you moving more. Sounds great, right? (laughs) So (laughs) it sounds so great that, of course, the diet industry, or I guess Rose going to say science, had to take a stab at it by wanting to create a leptin drug that would finally be the answer to weight loss. So they did a study, injected a bunch of people who wanted to lose weight. Shocker, it mainly only caused skin irritation and didn't really result in weight loss. So here's why weight gain can happen more easily, especially if you've yo-yo dieted all your life and had drastic changes in weight multiple different times. Leptin's main role is to protect against weight loss in times of scarcity or famine. So when your fat stores shrink when you're dieting, so does your leptin production. When this happens, your appetite increases and your metabolism decreases and you gain the weight back. But because leptin doesn't perceive excess weight as a necessarily bad thing, increased leptin due to weight gain does little to stop your appetite or increase your metabolism because eventually you hit a limit in your ability to sense the leptin going to your brain, sending these messages. So research shows that people with a history of repeat dieting send out less leptin than they would without the history of dieting. The decrease in this natural response is one that explains why many chronic dieters tend to be heavier than those who haven't attempted drastic weight loss. This goes back to when we talked about in the beginning, the more you mess with thermostat, it will unfortunately break and stop working in your favor. Lots to dive in there, Ro. <laughs> Ro's face right now. <laughs> like, well, I'm trying to piece together. So you said that people with a history of repeat dieting mm-hmm. send out less leptin. Less leptin. Yep. Than so, they would without that history. I guess could you just clear that up? Because I, I just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So. Like I said, the leptin is a hormone released from the fat cells Mm -hmm. that goes up to your brain, telling your brain to turn down your appetite and speed up your metabolism because it wants to regulate your weight. But when you go back and forth so drastically so many times, your body starts to sense like, okay, I'm sending up this leptin and it will keep sending up the leptin, but your brain won't be able to receive it in the same way. Does that make sense? Like, it's almost like there's this barrier between like over your brain where the leptin just can't get through. It can't get that message of, Hey, like we're putting on a little bit of weight. We need to increase this metabolism. We need to decrease this appetite And it's creating a resistance because it's had to do it so many times that now, like I said, it's just, if you're jiggling on the thermostat too long, you're eventually going to break it. (laughs) That's so funny. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Do you know if uh, 
the booker or the author um, mention Graylin? Like it's, it's like a, the other or another. Ro, you're really. trying to jump ahead. You're trying to jump oh, ahead. Oh, sorry. That's, that's yeah. coming up. That's coming I'm like, up. I'm just like, I got so many questions. I got so many questions. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, it just it makes me think, too, because, like, if um, I think from what we know about hormone regulation is that if you, from the study standpoint, right, if you increase leptin, or, or like uh, take it exogenously, then your natural levels are going to fall, which would make sense as to why there were some changes seen. Um, but also I didn't obviously haven't read the study, don't know the difference, don't know for how long. Um, but I think that, like you said, it gives us an idea of the role leptin plays as well as the role it plays when you are so far out of whack from from doing yo-yo dieting or from consistently mistreating your body is might be a harsh way of saying that is that a harsh way of saying it um but you know like not feeding it i mean i think that's fair i'm not judging okay (laughs) i'm like hmm (laughs) yeah Yeah, and i think also like i said um Weight loss, like the body isn't, it doesn't take well to weight loss. It perceives it as something is wrong. We were at this fat and happy state and now we're losing weight. (laughs) I'm losing fuel. I'm losing stores. I need to keep this person well fed and okay. And they, like I said, they don't, they don't know that you just want to be two sizes smaller. Um, But weight gain is different. If you gain weight, your body's just like, cool, we got a cushion because I don't know when she's going to fall off the road again and not have any food. (laughs) Again, Nicole, what have you been up to? (laughs) (laughs) You know, who knows? The crazy robot can come after you and you can be without food. It's 2020. You never know. What's going to happen to you right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it's going to be 2021 when this comes out. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but we're going to get into other Wild. hormones and you can nerd out some more if you just quit jumping ahead. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what are other ways our body is leading us to fuel ourselves properly? I mean, is this just a matter of willpower? So I think we've mentioned this before, the idea of keeping ourselves from being hungry, like how did we get to this point? Where did we want our bodies to stop telling us that they're hungry? Um, This is a natural response to protect you, to keep you fueled and happy. But to answer this question, no, it's not a lack of willpower. There is so much more to our bodies that I think when we learn more about what our bodies are doing for us, we can start to appreciate them more. So insulin is a big one here. We know it best for regulating our blood sugar, but it also sends information to the brain about the amount of energy that's or calories that we have circulating in our bloodstream. 
from the recent meals that we've consumed. Also grilling, here you are, Ro, <laughs> is another big one. Um, this is a hormone that contributes to our ability to feel hunger. So this is something that we should not be trying to stop. This hormone actually drives us on a pretty subconscious level. So it's either driving us towards eating or away from eating. There's actually more than 20 chemical messengers in your body that have been found to stimulate eating and a similar amount also to suppress appetite. These hormones and chemical messengers are all working together to send messages to your brain on whether you should eat or shouldn't eat based on the amount of calories you've consumed and when. There are also other factors involved that influence these messages, including our emotions and our sleep patterns. So my biggest thing is if you're blaming yourself for lack of willpower, I promise you it's not that. There are countless systems communicating with each other to keep you in an optimal place. Very fair. Yeah, like I said, you're going up I, against billions of years of evolution. You mm-hmm. know, good luck. <laughs> Our bodies are really smart. <laughs> well, I don't know. Okay, so full disclosure, like I am a dietitian who like does work with people on weight loss mm-hmm. goals in like a healthy, what I believe to be based on my experience and research, like a healthy, sustainable realistic way obviously we're not trying to return to our like high school gene gene size right (laughs) maybe but um to me i think two things i i recognize as humans if we've been caught in this like kind of diet cycle of life especially it's common for females usually people are really out of touch with when they're actually hungry and they're actually full. And this idea of paying attention, because I really feel like it's just feedback. And I also feel like even if you are someone who is working on a weight loss goal that's like healthy, realistic, and sustainable, you shouldn't be super hungry. Like that's actually one of the markers I like to monitor. Like something's wrong if you're super hungry and we're working towards changing your body composition in that way. In in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I mean, like you said, Brooke, I think, you know, what we're talking about in this conversation is this is what would be happening if we had never fucked with the system. Right. And I think that the work you're doing is great because like you said, you're still undoing decades probably of dieting and going towards all these extreme measures that are set up to never work for a person long-term. And you are reestablishing, you know, what does it feel to be hungry? What does it feel to be full? And I think that working towards sustainable weight loss with a dietitian who cares or a personal trainer that cares and is able to look at the whole picture is super important because maybe you are way past your set point rate and you definitely don't want to try to reach that set point rate or whatever, you know, your weight loss goal is in an unrealistic and unsustainable way. So, but I think we also have to remember that this is going to take time, especially, like I said, if it's decades of damage and not to say like, I'm definitely not putting that burden on any clients that may be coming to us. This is not your fault. You didn't do this damage on purpose. Um, These were messages that we've been consuming for a really long time, ever since we were kids and 
Brooklyn on the Jello diet. Um, <laughs> but TBT Jello diet, yeah. Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's research and things that you as a dietitian are doing amazingly when it comes to helping people re like, I don't know, just like get back in touch with their body and where that natural weight is for them. Yeah. And I like that you also brought up how it's interconnected with things like sleep and stress Mm -hmm. or other emotions. Like, I think that's huge. If you're someone who's not getting good sleep, your body will kick in and be like, okay, we need energy from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And your body knows that it can get that from food. So that's also why I think it's really important to think of someone as this like, you know, this holistic point of view where it doesn't matter if you're doing perfectly what our plan is for your nutrition. If you're not sleeping, if you're super stressed and you have no outlets, if you're really emotional and you're not taking care of yourself mentally and emotionally, like it's all so interconnected. It's not even just the food you do or don't put into your body. Yeah, Cause all that's going to also affect those hormones that are communicating with your brain. And yeah, just, you can't, you can't blame lack of willpower. You can't blame one particular thing in your life. We really have to look at the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny you bring up sleep too, because if you are sleeping only, you know, four or five hours a day that, and, and you are someone who might need more sleep kind of naturally, then that means that you're awake for more hours, which means that you also have more hours that you might be bored and snack or fit in more meals or, you know, all that stuff. So there's a, a lot more than, than just the lack of willpower. You know, I think that you, you do kind of have to speak to that too, that like, Hey, maybe, maybe you just aren't trying hard enough, but it's also, you can't just say that, right. You have to look and say, yeah, work is very stressful. Family life is very stressful. You know, all these other compounding factors, trying harder to lose weight might mean trying harder to like mend a relationship that's like causing you to eat because you're stressed out or something. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that was just something that I had to like kind of bring up is that like, we know you're trying, like, I think some people like try very hard and they don't see the results that they want, but it's because they're not tending to the things that they actually need to be focusing on, which might be like, Hey, you're not drinking water. (laughs) You're not sleeping. You know what I mean? Like it, it'll make things much easier if you just do those things. Um, so good point. Very good point. Yeah. And I think like too, kind of what we talked about in the goal setting episode of, you know, it's not always about this A plus effort every single day. Mm -hmm. We have to find that happy medium. We have to find that consistency over 100% effort. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I do think, uh, there's, there is a difference between giving yourself some grace <laughs> and making excuses yeah, and only you're going to know, <laughs> sure. only you're really going to know the truth, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like even as a coach, I'm like, I'm going to ask you some hard questions and we're going to talk through this and only you're going to know and you can be honest about it and we'll overcome whatever we need to. But yeah. um, it's like long tier There's definitely right? a balance. You're like, yeah, no, I feel yeah. good. Yeah. Like, I can only help you if you tell me what's <laughs> going on. Yeah. Yeah. 
For sure. So Coco, how does someone go about identifying a set point weight? So I think a big thing to point out here is that your body is going to maintain whatever it thinks to be an adequate amount of fat storage to protect itself. This is determined through genetics, lifestyle choices, ones made today as well as in the past, and it's all directly linked to your current weight. Um, as we've mentioned, your body is very resistant to change. It wants to maintain that homeostasis at all costs. It doesn't care that you want to look good in a bikini. So there's no magical formula here, unfortunately. Scientists say that an average person has a set point range that ranges from 10 to 20 pounds where your body will remain comfortable and not resist attempts of change. Um, so... That means, say you're around 150 pounds, your set point range could range from 145 to 165, um, maybe a little higher, lower, something around there is what they think the average is. Ultimately, it's the weight that you maintain when you listen and respond to your body's signals of hunger and fullness. It's the weight that you maintain naturally when you're not fixated on size or counting calories. It's also probably the weight that you continue to return to in between diets. Kind of like what we mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's, that's such a huge thing, right? How many people do you know that like, they lose like 30 pounds and then mm -hmm. three months passes and then they're back to where they were. And a lot of that you can attribute to, you know, the fact that they crash dieted and they had no business doing that. And it happened so quickly. And then they go back to living normal life and then they're back up. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I really want to ask how, how you two go about maybe moving someone's set point or I guess being more comfortable with that because, you know, it's a very hard sell to tell someone, mm -hmm. hey, in a year, we're going to lose 10 pounds. And, by, and that's like by the end of the year, it'd be 10 pounds. But, you know, that's so much better than in two months, you're going to lose 30. But then the two months after that, you're going to gain 40. So now you're up plus 10. And then you're going to do that again. And then by the end of the year, you're the same weight. Right. And yeah. it, it was two months of like really painful dieting and not a lot of fun and things like that. Um, so I kind of want to get your opinions or your strategies on how to, I don't even, I don't even know, like go, go about this because like I said, it's a really hard sell. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've both seen individuals come to us with a very unrealistic goal <laughs> and we kind of have to readdress it and literally say what you just said of to get there one it's probably impossible two you're gonna be miserable three it's not gonna last so I think from my perspective with just intuitive eating and like I said, if it is an individual who has gone through years and years, maybe decades of yo-yo dieting and their weight has fluctuated so much, as you know, we mentioned in this podcast, your set point range will change. If you gain a lot of weight, then it's going to adjust and your set point range is going to go up. But 
I don't think that that means that it can never change, but I do think that it means it's probably going to take a lot of a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of trial and error, and it's definitely not going to be um, achieved through drastic measures. So for me, always, it's going to be diving into the whole picture and also realizing like you're so much more than a size. You're so much more than a weight and your health is so much more than your weight. So let's look at all of it. Let's establish realistic goals based on the things that we know are in your life and are important to you. And let's move from there. I love all of it. I think for me, I've had this conversation a lot with people and I have one client now who I think we got on the phone like three times before she committed to like my coaching program and how I do things because it was working through that like really uncomfortable conversation of like, is this healthy and really talking through why is this important? Like what happens when you lose this weight? Because really when you talk to someone normally, it's about a lot of other things, not a random number. And I can't guarantee you're ever going to lose a random number, right? Uh, But I can help you make sure that you have a better relationship with food, that you're feeling good and confident, that your workouts are better. You know, like I I can tell you that we can work on these things because I know the methods to do it. So I think it's like making sure I'm always having honest conversations and people being upfront and like, honestly, I have some really badass clients. Like I have another client where I was like, look, for decades, you've been over restricting. And I know that you still feel like you're bigger than what's comfortable for you. But what we need to do is do a maintenance diet and just let your body adjust and take a break. And I think just like having that communication is important. And I just try to be really honest that like, my job isn't to undo what could be years and years of damage in 90 days. Cause it's just not going to happen. It's so much more about like the methods and the relationship you have with your body. And, um, if we really are going to make a lasting sustainable change, it's going to have to be slow and steady. It's never going to be linear. Um, you know, I like, I'm super proud of a lot of my clients, every single one of them up to today, this is a Tuesday has either maintained or progressed with whatever their results were through the holiday season. Like that's huge. Mm, that's awesome. And sometimes that's just a win, which is like just, just maintaining, right. So yeah. that you still are able to be a human and live your life. And I think that's so much more important than like, I need to lose five pounds a month. It's like, you know, I don't know. Like, I do think that there's something to be said for like, social health, mental health, emotional health, and all these other things that are balanced out that are surrounded by food. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, for sure. I mean, so much of it is like somebody says, yeah, I I want to get down to 160 and let's say they're 190. Okay. 30 pounds. Cool. And even if they're like, Hey, I understand it's going to be a long process. I'm here for all of it. And let's say they get to 170 and they're like, so much healthier they feel great you know like all the positive things that when it comes to fitness and health and nutrition like they checked all the boxes then how important is that last 10 pounds like if you feel really great if you love the way you look um if you know you can walk into any place and people are staring at you like oh damn like judy's looking great over there like if that's if that's it then why does 160 matter and i think it it really only you only get to that point where you're willing to, I guess, forego those 10 pounds if you have someone in your corner that's like, 
that's just a number. It doesn't matter. Let's focus on, you know, A through Z and 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 think about all the good that's going on and not just focus on that. Because then you can say, like, you're doing so great. Like, those 10 pounds literally do not matter. Mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so important to celebrate, like, as dietitians working with people to celebrate non-scale victories. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this one female client. She's such a badass. So technically the scale has not moved like at all. And if that was the only measure we were using, that would be probably terrifying for a lot sure, of people, yeah. but we're using progress photos and we're taking a bunch of different markers like energy, mood, you know, performance, all kinds of other things. She feels so much better and you can tell in her progress photos, the awesome like body composition changes. You can tell in her smile that she feels better. So like, that's awesome. And I think that's kind of badass when you see that kind of a change and it has nothing to do with an actual weight. So there's also, I think like those things that we need to think about. And sometimes like a client just has to figure that out on their own, in my opinion of like, Hey, like we're going to do these habits and skills and like get you to where you need to be. But like, Honestly, a lot of people, once they start to get into the process, if they trust the process and they trust, you know, who, whatever practitioner they're working with, like, I really think that they're going to be happy with the results they see, even if that means they don't lose a pound. Yeah. Also, like, you're the only person who knows that number. Right. No, like, we right. don't, we don't walk, we oh, don't wow. walk around saying, hi, my name's Nicole. I weigh blah, blah, blah. You know, we don't say that. And I was talking to someone today and... Wow, it's such a good point. We, um, I said something like, think about the your favorite, your most favorite person in your life. What are the top five things you love about them? And I guarantee it's not their weight. I guarantee like, it's not what they look like. He hosts a podcast. Uh, he has <laughs> beautiful brown eyes. He's very handsome. Yeah. Bro, they, they why can't me, you just okay. let me get some emotion provoking <laughs> questions in here? Okay. But yeah, it's just like, you're the only person who knows that number. No one mm. who loves you cares. They don't give a shit. And you shouldn't either. (laughs) Like you should just live your life. And like Brooke said, like you should trust that process and find all the things that make you feel good. And you will realize how maybe that number is a part of it somehow, some way, but I promise it's a very small piece. Yeah. Yes. Ladies, I got some really good cheap automatic make you feel better advice if you don't like the way your jeans fit buy new jeans (laughs) ladies and men and those in between you know whoever you know what i mean like yeah well yeah i'm joking because i think that that's more of the stereotype you get my drift so so i um i mentioned oh man i forget what episode it was but i was talking about my cousin who never wanted to be anything larger than a medium uh because that was just like some arbitrary thing he picked he's like i just can't be larger than a medium shirt and for the longest time uh i've been a a 30 in my waist so like males pant sizes are like i i don't know i've never worn anything smaller than like a 26 or whatever but like i have a butt now guys which is really (laughs) great but it's not team flat ass. No, I'm not team flat ass anymore. It's so fantastic. <laughs> but like the problem was always that like uh, my waist was small, but like my quads were were just much bigger. And that's because my glutes never worked. But now that 
I have to go up in pant sizes. It it was so weird for me because I was like, yeah, I'll go from a medium to a large, large to XL. Like I'm good with that. Like I want to be bigger. I'm trying to get stronger. But when when I realized that I that I couldn't comfortably like fit into 30s and like 32s, I'm not gonna lie. There was a part of me that was like, ooh, like you've been <laughs> this for so long. Like why? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Um, and, you know, I've been actively putting on weight since March. I've been actively putting on size. So it, it was it was much easier for me who's been choosing this day in and day out to be like, yeah, of course, I need new pants. Like you are bigger and stronger now. You, you deserve to and you should get new pants. But even as someone who like preaches that, like you should be. It's just clothes. It's just a size. It is what it is. There was a part of me that was like, whoa, like, shouldn't you be in a smaller size? Because, like, that's what you've been for so long. So I thought that was, like, super interesting. And I can't I can't even imagine because I've never really been the type of person that has gained so much weight where it was like, oh, I have to now buy new things because I just don't fit into this anymore because I've put on, you know, 10, 20, 30 X amount of pounds. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a mind game that people have to like, they have to play on their, on their owner with a good support system. But mm-hmm. figured I'd throw that in there for some sense of vulnerability, but really just like, <laughs> so proud. did you watch Brene like, Brown? <laughs> no, I haven't yet. <laughs> but like, even as people who like, we're actively teaching people these things, but there's still thoughts that go through our minds that are like, oh, no, this is wrong. But it's like, no, 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 like, this is right. So if you have no, like, formal <laughs> training in this or you have no, you know, experience in this, of course, when it first happens, it can be really, really gut-wrenching or, like, mentally uh, un- unstabling, if that's a word. But yeah. Yeah, I definitely don't want to joke and like downplay that. Yeah, like it's hard for people. Absolutely. <laughs> Rose laughing at his own moment of vulnerability. No, you know, I was I was just telling like I'm I'm good. <laughs> I'm I'm happy with how I feel and how I look. It's great, but uh, yeah, it's just it's just something to to keep in mind for my for myself and and maybe people who have always been like if you're listening and you've, if you've always been like in shape and very healthy and um you know can't seem to understand somehow like how people can get fat or how they can be out of shape like well <laughs> i don't i don't know what to tell you this some is of life. us want to like, be thick some of us just do that yeah so i remember i mean ro because you kind of like updated us periodically and I think I remember like the day that you texted me and broke that you had broke 200 pounds and I'm like why does this man keep texting us his weight like I, I didn't even stoked. realize <laughs> I didn't even realize that you were like trying because I remember I asked I was like wait are like have you been trying to gain weight like is this a good thing and you're like yes this is amazing yeah. and I was like okay great I'm so happy you're like wait 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 <laughs> should I say should I be supportive or excited no I just <laughs> didn't realize that 
Because when you kept updating us, I was like, wait, I mean, I guess this is going towards some sort of goal because I don't care either way. Like, I don't give a shit, you know, what you weigh or what you're doing or, you know, I just want you to be happy and healthy. And but yeah, I think it it was really funny to keep getting those texts. I was like, okay, now I get it. I understand now. Yeah, Well, my (laughs) weekly average is above 210 now. So I'm excited. Wow. You are getting up there. You're going to have to start a booty Instagram. Soon. Yeah, no. <laughs> I would die. He took yeah. thickness very seriously. Oh yes, it was definitely thickness <laughs> season for sure. Uh, well, nice. I think that was a really great. Do you conversation. guys have anything else? Yeah, thank you so much for like taking the time to like break all that down. That was really interesting, yeah. Nicole. No, yeah, always I love it. Always really good to hear from the the health perspective instead of me being like, no, this is bad. Science says this. Like, oh, yeah, humans. Humans are good. <laughs> I feel like Nicole and Ro, like, you guys are the opposites, and then I'm somewhere in the yeah. middle. And I'm like, science, well, but, like, kind of feelings also, and, like, science. I feel like Ro, he, like, it's like his life mission to be the opposite of whatever the person is that he's that's, talking to. That's not it. It's <laughs> not it at all. He's like, I mean, wait, I like, have I to like disagree. I you were wrong, right? I was just like, well, what about this? What I just love how this? you kept like asking and it was like literally like the next question that we were going to go well, over yeah, that. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I should read the outline before we start. But no, I mean, I yeah. don't know. That's just how I, <laughs> just how my, my brain was working today. It's like, like, actually, do you know about this hormone? No, it's and not. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> say, did you know about it? I was just like, well, what role does it play? Because I, you know, it yeah. also would have helped if I, if I like read the book, you know what I mean? Because then I could be yeah. like, oh, here are like my full I thoughts. I mean, but. this book is thick. Like that was, that was chapter one. It's like real and thick. Hey. There's like 14 <laughs> chapters. She gets, she gets deep y'all. So, I mean, I'm only a few chapters in and it's really interesting because I love continuing to learn like we've mentioned I love learning new things and growing in this profession so that you know I know that we're trying our best to be the best coaches possible and we're still wanting to learn new research that may be coming out or whatnot but and I love that it's research-based it's not just like oh this is how I feel you should believe me I love that there's facts behind it so I'm excited that we got to dive into it yeah very awesome. Well, for those of you who have stuck with us, <laughs> uh, make sure to follow us at Health Unfiltered Pod on IG. That is where we live. It also links up all of our personal Instagrams. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to ask us questions, um, if you want to have a question of the week, or if you just want to connect and you have a random question, uh, we would love to hear from you. So definitely rate us, share us, leave a review and share this with your friends. That helps us a ton in our small business entrepreneur world that we all three live in. <laughs> so we appreciate all of you. Um, and I love hearing all the podcast feedback. Me like too. you guys are it's, awesome. It's, it's really great. It makes me so happy. Like, yeah. People listen to us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so keep sharing. Cause we, we love it. For yep. sure. And I, we are all accepting clients in the beginning of the new year, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. So Nicole is all about that intuitive eating health at every size. Um, I know you've heard some of her like amazing insights on the podcast. Uh, Ro <laughs> is all things fitness and thickness. Um, yeah, now thickness. <laughs> and um, I do 
weight management, body composition, sport and athletic performance. That's my happy place. So definitely connect with us and we will see you on the next episode. Cue that music.